popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360-degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. It's uh, such a pleasure to have you join us on the Sales Transformation podcast series. And um, uh, I think uh, when we first um, discovered you, it was, um, I think you were listed on the Sales Enablement Collective's One to Watch list. And and so now we have you here. So we feel terribly honored. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. That's great. And you've just come off holiday as well. So you're going to be fresh and raring to go. Is that right? Or are you going to be slightly kind of still on the beach uh, on the west coast of America, sort of chilling? I'm still carrying the ocean <laughs> in my heart, but we are back at work. Yeah, back at work now. Okay. Um, so, um, Ashton, what we normally do with the Sales Transformation Podcast is we, uh, for our listeners' benefit, just it would just just be great for us to get to know you a bit better. You know, your background, your education, how you got into sales, and how you know what's taken you on the journey so far. So, could I ask you to share your story? Of course. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ashton Williams. Currently, I head up global enablement programs at Slack, uh, a Salesforce company. And before that, I was working with a startup where I headed up their enablement. Uh, and prior to that, in sales, sales training, sales leadership. Uh, and the story of how I got there is quite an interesting one. I go back to my university days where I actually studied art. Uh, painting, drawing, photography, much to wow. my parents' chagrin. <laughs> um, and during that time, I was actually working in retail. Uh, and that is, you know, most people get their start in sales there. Yeah, yeah. And I really loved working with customers. I figured out because I had so many hours to, to work and then go to school, I would open the store early and bring our customers in for an early shop to make my budget. Uh, and my parents okay. were kind of like, hmm, perhaps sales. And I was like, no, never. <laughs> Um, from then I actually moved on to a call center where I was in customer success and, um, I'm bilingual. And so when you're bilingual in a call center, you get people who wait a very long time to speak the second language and they're not happy. Uh, and that was a great learning experience. They had this amazing training program. It was four weeks. We learned sales, but, um, we sold credit cards there. And very quickly, I was a top seller in the credit card and insurance category. And my parents were like, hmm maybe sales. And I was like, no, <laughs> sure, surely not. Um, but upon finding success there, I realized that I, I did really enjoy it uh, and wanted to learn more about it. And I joined the Canadian Professional Sales Association. They are a not-for-profit organization that strives to kind of legitimize the sales profession by providing a certification, a code of ethics, and ongoing training to businesses. And okay. I got a formal sales education there. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, and I don't know that you know, many folks get that opportunity. Uh, there I was an account executive selling, um, you know, to businesses and B2B, and I moved on to do partnership acquisition. So I got to see the world of advertising, relationships, long-term sale, and enterprise companies. Uh, and I found that my favorite part of that was when I would close a partner, I'd have to go back to the sales rep, see we had so many, and really bundle that package and talk about how to recommend, 
which solution or which partnership for their customers. And that kind of training element, um, I loved. And I found that I wanted to do more of that. Uh, So I moved on to join a company that believed in travel, education, building tomorrow's leaders, but had a really heavy culture of coaching and training. Uh, I joined there as a trainer. We built a three-year sales development program. We ran all kinds of offsites. I got to train in different countries, uh, meet hundreds of people around the world, but really see, you know, we weren't um, a high-tech company. It was very much, they believed in coming together in person, getting hands-on, meeting our customers. Um, And, you know, one of the beliefs when I moved on was, you can't automate something until you've done it manually first. And I would say we did sales Mm -hmm. and sales training very manually there, Um, but it was effective. Uh, from there, I went on to sales leadership. So I headed up a team. We got to retrain the team, build that team, hit quota for the first time, which was all very exciting. Um, and it was then that I kind of discovered enablement. I think I was doing training and enablement, but I didn't know what it was. Uh, and when I discovered it was a job, I was thrilled. Um, and I went very intentionally into the tech sector, researching enablement. I reached out to leaders um, who had VP roles or higher and said, What's one thing that you wish you learned? Uh, What's one thing you had to learn on the job? And can you help me get in? Or can you introduce me to someone? Uh, And very quickly, the community put their arms around me. uh, And I moved into tech where I joined Ada, which was a company specializing in automation. So do it manually Uh first. (laughs) was a great place to start from there. Um, And I built their enablement team from the ground up. So I joined, I think, employee 130 or 40, don't quote me. Um, But we scaled eventually to about 500. And I got to build their processes, their ecosystem, work with the reps, um, and then moved on to Slack and Salesforce from there. Uh, That's a fantastic journey. So do you have any desire to get back into the art world? I mean, are you you a practicing artist in your you know, in your free time, if you if you have free time or whatever, is it still a hobby of yours? I discovered that art was a place that I wanted to be separate from work. So I still draw, I still paint okay. when I when I feel oh, to, but it what it when it became the thing I needed to do all the time, I didn't love it the same way. Yeah, yeah. Do you know it's it, it's um on the art theme just very briefly. What, I, I was asked the other day, um, what's one of the books you're reading now that uh, is connected to to sales and I came up with a title you've probably never heard of which is Duveen Hmm. now Duveen was an art dealer um, uh, from probably the early 1900s to the late 1900s and he specialized in masterpieces and so he would um, have connections with the great stately homes around Europe and the big collectors of art, many of which were in America. And um, and uh, there's now, he became a Lord Duveen. He was, uh, he was Dutch. He then moved to the UK. Um, there's, uh, I don't know if you know the Tate Gallery in London, but it's one of the big art galleries. There's a Duveen gallery within the Tate. Mm-hmm. And um, I, if you take some of the great, um, the great art um, museums over in America, many of the pieces of work that have been donated, say, by the Mellon family or the, you know, the, the great Carnegie and so on, they made those acquisitions by purchasing through Duveen. I mean, he literally had cornered. This book about Duveen is really about salesmanship. It's how he sort of, he worked on the buyer's side. So he is very good with basically people who had homes they couldn't afford to maintain because they were so big and they had to sell these masterpieces, but not wanting to do them down. And the industrialists who at that time in America had loads of money, wanted to be seen to be cultured. And and it describes his technique of selling. And there's one amazing sort of phrase. So there was this industrialist from Chicago who wanted to buy a masterpiece. Sorry, I'm digressing. This is off piece, isn't it, Ashton? But <laughs> I don't often get people who are interested in art. And I do love art. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I just finished this story and then we could move back to you because it's quite interesting. Anyway, this industrialist in Chicago wanted to catch up with his peers 
in building a big art collection, came into his, he had a gallery in New York as well as in London. And uh, the phrase that he used is, well, I don't think you're quite ready yet to buy the kind of masterpieces I, I have in my showroom. You know, he was like, kind of, and that, that phrase in itself, of course, made the industrialist want to be ready to buy. So he, 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 you know, he selected his customers as well as the people he sold to very carefully. And he did it in a, in a great way. I love um, that. I love yeah. that. I and actually, a place what, where we, we trained our team to say, why should I partner with you, customer? Why yeah, you <laughs> it's similar, right? <laughs> for me to partner with. And yeah, yeah it, it works. <laughs> it, it, it really does. And that was just one of the many sort of stories that were that were told. But it, but it also touched upon ethics and the ethical sales practices and so on. But it was quite interesting. I, I went to very last phrase, sorry about this, but very last, uh, I went to the Washington Museum and I went to one of the staff working there and I said, how many paintings do you have that came into this museum by Duveen? And they they looked at me as if I was kind of crazy. I wasn't looking for the artist. I was looking for where the art collections were originally sourced from. Mm-hmm. And they went back into their records and they said, we've got two and a half thousand Duveen purchased paintings. Isn't that extraordinary? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, anyway, sorry. We slightly digressed. He monopoly on art dealers. Yeah, he, he created a monopoly. He really yeah. did. Yeah. He created a monopoly, became, of course, extra- extremely wealthy uh, in the process. But... Um, uh, so when I read the book, it, I was more interested about his technique of engaging buyers and sellers. And I, I got a lot of joy out of it, as I mean, well as being able to read about art. I would actually say that that's very poignant for um, today's selling climate, where yeah, you have to be, we don't have that many buyers right now. And yeah. you need to build a long-term relationship with folks to keep them loyal during times like this, right? Where they're choosing yeah, yeah. folks to purchase from. Um, and that relationship of knowing them, knowing their struggles, the sale being helpful, um, getting commitment of why should I partner with you? I think those are all kind of the tenets of a great seller who's truly consultative and building their book of business, right? Um, so very timely. That is, it is really, I hadn't thought of making that connection. I, I think that's absolutely um that's a wonderful connection to make because some of these great um, philanthropists, I suppose they became, mm-hmm. um, entrusted him actually not just to buy uh, the paintings, but also to build the museums in which they were shown. You know, he wasn't an architect, but he felt that the paintings had to be presented in the right way, in the right conditions. And so they entrusted him to do that. And and, and that ability, I think, to you know, to build trust enables you to extend your, I suppose, your value proposition beyond, you know, for him just selling paintings, it was building the museum. To, <laughs> to be mean, fair, that's the thing every marketer tries to tell sales that brand matters. It is. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So um, if you get the chance and can see the book TV and you might find it of interest, but anyway. So let's, let's come back because um, sales enablement, is a relatively new, um, relatively new, so what, 10 years or so term that's sort of crept into maybe a bit longer, I'm not sure. But, um, and I think it's uh, become more prevalent in the US and Canada uh, than perhaps in Europe. But could you define for us what you, how you define sales enablement? Because you've, you've talked about training and teaching, but it's, it goes beyond that, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. Um, I will describe it as I describe it to my family. So um, when my family asks, I say, I am like the school inside of a business that people stop at to get trained, get coached, get better, be equipped with the skills and tools they need to succeed in their role. When a business is changing as drastically as especially tech, that change is often, right? The product is constantly innovating. Your competitors are constantly innovating, but also the landscape of business is changing. And so I think 
what used to be training and development has actually become a strategic approach to maintaining the productivity of your workforce. And that delivery mechanism can be training, can be e-learning, can be whatever, but the strategy of how you keep folks productive and the unique needs of different teams in different climates and shifting that based on your offering changing is really where enablement sits. Um, and so I usually describe it that way because it's easier to understand. Um, and if you think about, you know, I actually don't think it's that new. Um, when we think back to like manufacturing being, you know, the first industrial business, you had to teach folks how to use the machinery, how to save time the, the right way. We would orchestrate processes to kind of improve that productivity. And it just used to be that the process didn't change very much or the business didn't change very much. And so the need was lighter or lower. Um, and as we have more knowledge workers and, you know, selling services, that that shifts so much more. So I think it's been around a long time. I think the term enablement really represents a widening of that scope and, and ownership and really seeing it as strategic versus just can the folks working do this thing, um, which has been really beautiful to see blossom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, uh, I think that, you know, when when we've spoken to others about about the way the uh, kind of function has become, I think within sales, certainly, uh, you know, I think it's sort of it's growing in terms of its stature. I mean, I, I'm not sure yet that we've got. Um, well, maybe there are. Maybe, maybe you'll tell me chief enablement officers, you know, sitting on the main board of. I'm, I'm not sure if we're there yet. Perhaps we are, but. Um, um, but its role in facilitating the link between strategy and what happens in the field, um, I think, is being seen as crucial because it not only looks at development and training, but it's also looking at, at like you were saying earlier, it's looking at the processes, it's looking at efficiency, it's looking at systems and tools. Mm -hmm. I guess it's looking at all of those things in order to maximize the performance of uh, of, of people in 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 the field. Yeah, it. I think it takes a holistic approach to what was normally siloed pieces. So um, right. whenever I onboard someone to my team, I say we have this privileged position to sit in the center of a business where we cross-functionally partner across almost every team. There are very few teams that won't partner with enablement to support the sales organization and indirectly the customer. Um, and that means seeing the bigger picture. We have access to what every team is doing, the struggles of each department, and why a seller or you know anyone in a client-facing role might need to know, understand. But we also act as a filter to remove distraction. Um, and I think that that position in a business is, is unique and, and new. But one of the things I love most about the role, because we have you know people operations working on really the performance of the whole company. That's our business systems, how everybody works, being a manager, regardless of what sector you're in. But yeah. enablement really targets this department, being client facing the unique needs and peaks and valleys of that role. And there's a, a level of context to make training resonate, to help people get skilled quickly, but also to really keep confidence up. I think when we think about sales, the number one thing of a, of a great seller is acumen plus confidence usually equals trust. Um, right. And how do you keep people confident when things are always changing? Um, that's that's one of the, the the misses we see often when you try to entrust, you know, enablement to a department that doesn't know the peaks and valleys of that business. That's really interesting. And I mean, it, it would be interesting to uh, to have your reflections on the perhaps the last sort of maybe five years of where you've seen some of the uh, sort of enablement related challenges because we've had the pandemic for example we've had the challenges within the tech sector so there's all sorts of stuff going on mm -hmm. what have you sensed about those words of confidence and acumen and you know uh, being relevant in the world that's changed so much in recent times yeah i think um there's there's a lot that can be unpacked there. But the, the things that I've seen or that have bubbled up to the top the most have been the world has shifted, right? We now empower technology processes everywhere. We are expected to know a great deal about how technology functions in our personal day-to-day -day lives. 
And we're no longer spending time teaching some of these basic things. So people are entering the workforce with a, a baseline understanding of a lot of things that would have been net new even five years ago. Um, with that comes a unique challenge because sometimes folks don't know the technology that well. They enter into a business where everyone assumes they have information they don't, and that that train up or that, that ramp is difficult. We also see um, instructional design or, or learning and development, which typically sits in a people organization, be immediately responsible for the training and development of the whole organization. But making that relevant or rooted in timeliness for the for you know the individual contributor is key and they don't always have the time horizon or the access to what's happening right now to make that training the most important thing that people take to be able to be effective so it's not even that you know the the, the training itself or the the mechanism of delivery itself is wrong it's just the timing isn't right for who needs to absorb it we also have much more independent buyers they can go and learn on their own. They can go and learn about your business. They can be an expert in your technology and you may not be. And I think sales shifted dramatically when we no longer had to rely on the seller to give us all the information. Um, mm -hmm. The buyer comes to you with information and is looking for consultation, which means now it's not mastering the product. It's mastering your client's problems. You need to be able to articulate you know, what that client needs better than they can deep dive into it. And you do that through seeing multiple clients. And so the experience that is now being asked for is show me another business like me and how you solve this. Show me insight into how someone actually did that, which is a very big switch from know your products very well. Mm -hmm. um, we still have to know our products very well because they're changing uh, and we have to know how they empower that solution. But that, that shift to be customer centric, to be really focused on um, the external is, is something that we see a big, big struggle in where businesses are often focused on what they need to do, their own yeah. sales process, how their teams need to work together and not necessarily what a customer goes through along that cycle. And there's some things that are really poignant when you just map those two together or we're not talking to our customers enough or we've worked at this company for so long and so we're naturally talking about ourselves all the time because it's what we know. And mm -hmm. um, that makes confidence and, and staying equipped with skills and acumen difficult because all the other departments don't always talk to the customer, but sales does. So there's this push and pull between sales needs to know this, but sales knows the customer and the information not necessarily resonating the way it needs to. Um, that's something that enablement spends a lot of time solving, being rooted in relevance, being timely, uh, maximizing their time. Do they really need to know this right now? Is it actionable? Um, and, you know, how's a customer going to resonate with that? When, when I have to stand in front of a customer and be credible, are these things you give, giving me the right thing to say? Or am I putting extra work on the seller to decode all that information mm. uh, and make it relevant? And so you just see teams struggle to work and partner collaboratively when they're not aligned to a customer journey, really putting the customer yeah. center forces this understanding, but many businesses don't, or the customer changes, or they want to go after a new customer and they don't have the same depth of knowledge. And you just see that break down a lot and, and enablement kind of sits in the middle of being like, here's the data of why we should do that. Here is the people that we have in place and the time it's going to need to scale them up to be able to do that. But also here's the noise we maybe need to stop. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, not every business does it does it perfect. Yeah. I certainly don't, but uh, it's a, it's a challenge with the the moving landscape. Yes, I mean you've mentioned uh, the sort of number of things. I'd love to sort of drill drill down in into, mm -hmm. but um, you know I love the way you, you talk about the um, the changing the shifting uh, the shifting nature of how people are selling from being perhaps traditionally more product solution centric versus more customer centric and um this this links a little bit into the doctorate that i did a number of years ago which is which is based on how do customers want to be sold to mm -hmm. and um one of the uh, uh, really quite staggering statistics that came out of part of my research was the percent of salespeople that sell in a way customers want and uh, the percentage figure was really quite low. It was, it, it was an, of 80% of the many, many people I interviewed all over the world, um, less than 10% sold in the way they wanted. 
And the reasons that they gave were very much linked back to what you were just saying, that the ability of salespeople, I don't know if it's ability or or whether it's the way they're driven by the organizations for whom they work, but it's the ability of salespeople to know their business, to understand their business and how they work. There was a wonderful quote from one of the people I interviewed. He said, I, I want a salesperson, you know, obviously from a vendor, but I don't want him pointing at me. He said, I want him pointed back inside his own organization. You know, I want him to leverage my power and my weight as a buyer back into his company as a supplier in order that I can get a better deal, you know, across all points of engagement. And um, this idea of, again, driven by customer insight about how they select salespeople who can do that, who can bridge that gap between, you know, what they need and then leveraging, whether it's directly or indirectly through experience with other customers, like you were mentioning, is, is, is quite rare, according to many of the customers we've interviewed. So I love the fact that you've you know, the sales role is so important, isn't it? It's where the rubber hits the road. They're closest to where the customers are. Yet they have to fight so hard internally sometimes to get what they need for the customers. Yeah. And I would say this, I, when I think of sales, I also think of customer success, account management, like anyone client facing, because at the end of the day, they're advocating for the customer, but they're also, you know, keeping the business in mind. When I think about how we equip folks to be successful in navigating customer relationships and customer conversations, it is a blend of how do I provide you with the business acumen to make good decisions and recognize pivotal points of trust and credibility in in the deal uh, or, or in that relationship. And so a customer wants to hear from someone who is going to be thoughtful about solving the problem, is going to feel like part of their team, is truly an ally in, in fixing this. Because oftentimes, at least in technology, for buying technology, careers can be made, implement a great technology, and that buyer gets promoted. So really being aligned to them and, and supporting them in what they need in their organization is key. Yeah. But I think a lot of businesses think constantly throwing information at folks as if they aren't equipped to navigate the customer is what we do. And so when I think about, you know, the times that I had to be a great seller, um, I had one leader who was awesome in coaching me and really spent the time going, what I want is for you to sit in front of a conversation and understand the pivotal points that you can build a bridge, the pivotal points at which you can offer value. So everything else needs to almost be um, second nature. I need to know my product really well. I need to know their solution really well mm-hmm. because it needs to become familiar to me so that when I see something, I can offer insight and I can continue that conversation. It's it's not giving me what insight I should offer. It's not telling me exactly how the solution is solved. It's being thoughtful with the customer in order to arrive at a solution that's best for them. And that's when, you know, you talk about price or how you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that trust that I understand the problem, we will never move forward. Uh, and so I always think if we hire really smart people in customer facing roles, usually, and yeah. we need to empower them to be confident in their ability mm-hmm. to partner. And when we see challenges, coach them. But it's not, you know, they need to be constantly in school because uh, realistically jobs are learned on the job for the most part. <laughs> Experience yeah. comes from, from, you know, moving with more customers. And when we think about that confidence that a customer wants, they usually want someone who's worked with lots of folks right? They don't mm-hmm. want someone brand new. And so the fastest way to build credibility with the customer is to say, I've worked with a customer like you, or I've actually seen this industry before, or actually I know someone who had the same problem. And the only way they're going to get to that is doing it more, at, but also feeling confident in navigating those. So interesting. want support in getting their goals and their mm-hmm. needs met. And we have to bridge that delta between we are a profitable business, we want to do that, and what is that worth to you? Um, but not just, you know, here's what I have, please buy it. <laughs> of course. And can I come back to the challenge you mentioned earlier about how do you get the right information to the right people in a timely way? Because um, I think that's that's clearly part of what you see perhaps the sales enablement role doing. It's making sure that, you know, the salespeople have stuff quickly. How, how do you, how do you do that? 
So I, I'd say there's a push and pull here uh, and the maturity of an organization and the maturity of the sales force really impacts that. I think this is something that a lot of folks in enablement or even in L&D will like bang their heads against the wall and like, I built something incredible. I put it out. It's what they asked for and they didn't use it or, it, you know, okay. it wasn't loved. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes there are twofold to this. So there's one is how confident is your sales organization and how able are they? Um, and that is really like assessing, do they have the skill sets to actually leverage the information you're giving, right? If I teach you a new product, but you don't know how to run a discovery call and be curious of the customer, it really doesn't matter that you know the product at all mm -hmm. because you're not going to have a thoughtful conversation about it. You're not going to take that information in properly and know how to apply it. And so we oftentimes give people pieces of information. I, I call it like the puzzle. So you give people puzzle pieces, but you don't show them the end picture. And you expect them to do the labor of putting that together and then doing that for the customer because they get those puzzle pieces they have to put together without a picture. And that's too much work, right? We want okay. to focus on the customers. We want to be like, here is a tree. Yes, these are puzzle pieces. You can figure out the tree. We've put it together for you already. We're going to trade this puzzle piece for a new puzzle piece. So it's very easy for them to slot in and slot out new information. And that's because we've already equipped them with, in the analogy here, the tree is the skills to take that. Okay. It means they're not going to be needing you know tons of training all the time or all of this on-demand content all the time i think sometimes we strive for quantity it's like if we just put everything out people have it at their fingertips and i'm like they have google if they really want to learn something they can go learn it we don't have to provide it um but being timely is about understanding the seasonality of the business and the mental state that sellers are going to go through. So at the beginning of a year, people feel fresh. Their quota went to zero. They've just taken a break usually, or they've had a hard year and they're ready to get started again. That's a great time to work on skills and training. People have the energy and the reasoning and the motivation to do so. We're going to hit, you know, a, a quarter three where we're coming up on the end of the year, we're midway and people are going to find out maybe I'm a little bit behind where I should be, or okay. I had all these deals not closed and I don't know why my confidence is going to be lower if I'm not where I'm supposed to be, or I'll be overconfident and not do the due diligence coming into the end of the year. And so we want to remind people of best practices at that time and say, Hey, are you inspecting these deals? Did you actually get commitment? What is your customer saying? What's the engagement of your customer? And we want to evaluate that for them. And we have all these teams, right? Crunching the numbers, doing the data, reporting the board, give some of that data to your sales rep, say on average, in this industry, like these folks buy at this time, if you haven't had a purchase by then, you should be raising the alarm. But this is the acumen we want to provide them with to look at their book of business and see it in reality. Because naturally, salespeople are optimistic, right? You want mm -hmm. people who are going to get up, who are going to take no and say, it's okay, I'm going to get it tomorrow. And sometimes the optimism needs to come with a little bit of healthy skepticism. And data is what provides that healthy skepticism, as well as, you know, equipping them with the skills to see it clearly. And so oftentimes we deliver content or training or whatever at the time that's convenient for the business, but not necessarily the seasonality of what folks are going through. Like, do not, do not have an event in Q4. People are stressed. They are tired. Mm -hmm. They are closing business. They will not listen to you. <laughs> they will not. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we, we do things like that, right? That, like businesses will just be like, well, that's the way we've always done it. And I'm like, well, aren't your customer, don't your customers need to get their stuff over the line by then too? So shouldn't everyone be free to just mm -hmm. be customer focused now? And it's not that what we would deliver is bad. We just can deliver it in Q1 when they're excited to see it. Or um, when someone has asked for something, we don't always get thoughtful about like, what are they really asking for? So an, a story I love to tell is I worked somewhere where a VP came up to me and was like, we need to run negotiation training. And I was like, interesting. Can you tell me more? <laughs> mm -hmm. He's like, well, I was just walking by and I heard a rep and he gave up all this money. And I think we need to really work on negotiation. We're not protecting our price. And I was like, okay, can you give me some examples of where en masse, we're not discounting appropriately. Can you give me some examples where we've lost customers based on price? Can you give me some examples of how many reps is this really happening to? And what customer was that? And was that a special customer that we should have saved because their logo mattered or was that rep just being careless? Like there's so much more that goes into deciding is that truly what they needed? And what we actually discovered is that we had competing products that were more expensive. So we had like a product that was similar to another product, not very different. So they would pitch the, the expensive one and then close the deal with the cheaper one because it's easier. It's how they were incentivized. They weren't incentivized on dollar value. They were incentivized on units. And I was like, this isn't a negotiation problem. This is just like the way you're paying them. It's smarter to do what's easier. And 
people who are customer facing work smart. <laughs> They're really good at jack loop <laughs> and pipeline usually. So why would they put that effort in? And instead of, you know, just pushing them through training because the VP said so, uh, we were like, okay, let's reevaluate how we're incentivizing, you know, mm -hmm. the work that goes into selling the most, more expensive product. Um, and I think in most cases, a senior leader will come and see a snapshot of something and it, it creates a little fear, right? Across everybody. And so we're like, oh yes, the solution is like put training or they don't know how to do this. And I'm like, I just, I don't believe that anyone who makes as much money as salespeople do closing business would voluntarily not do something good for them, right? <laughs> I just don't know that we're that counterintuitive to our own best interests. <laughs> That's so interesting. And uh, yes, I love your analogy also of the tree that you used earlier. And, and I guess that's quite a, a complex way of being able to figure out, you know, what's the tree and then how do you break it down into what, what, what components of development might you then put together using that, that sort of framework? Yes, and the timing as well is 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 uh, is is of course important. Really, really interesting. If you're looking at at the world of enablement, looking to the future, what well, what do you think is some of the big, um, you know, what what's what what are the big agenda items, you know, sort of moving forward? Yeah, I I I've, I think the the innovations we're seeing with AI, chat, okay, um, yeah. Oftentimes, enablement can have, you know, multiple kind of uses to a business, depending on the maturity. So observing trends in seller behavior, um, diagnosing skills that are needed, uh, really aligning on the seasonality and the programs that we're going to deliver to, to keep the workforce productive. There's a new mechanism of technology that should be able to empower those insights, um, you know, much better uh, and hopefully faster than we've been able to. Uh, I think we're going to see that development really do some of the, the heavy lifting that enablement is mm -hmm. normally done of on a call, a, a client says X and the AI can recommend that, hey, this is probably the, the most likely next step or the next thing you should say to that customer. Or mm, you're talking too much and you need to give more room to the customer to speak. And, and they can actually have that in their ear, right? Um, there's definitely mm -hmm. platforms trying to diagnose businesses um, using this technology now. And we're also seeing a very big, I mean, similar to when the internet was born, a pull mechanism. So I think businesses used to have to push information. That was the only way that both customers and their internal sellers could get it. But now we're in this world where people can go pull the information, right, that they need. Okay. And I think with ChatGPT, that's just going to get better and better and more sophisticated. So really, Developing that seller's skill and acumen is really key. So they ask the right questions to get the right information. We have to get ahead of the even the question mm -hmm. itself. I think we're going to see that shift. I also think we're seeing um, a gradual seniority in enablement. So we're seeing VP roles pop up. We're seeing um, revenue operations and enablement come together so that data and the people side come together, right, to, to make these holistic systems yeah. work. Uh, I think we're going to see... I hope we're going to see the continual advancement of, of the industry, but also there is with the pandemic, we had a move to asynchronous learning and learning individually and being alone and being responsible for our work. And I think we saw people be productive. Um, but what I see now, or at least having worked at a place where we were always in person, always training Productivity is one thing, but being connected to a business is one of those things that um, when folks feel like the work they're doing is important, when they feel connected to their peer to the left, when they feel like they have a best friend at work, when mm -hmm. it doesn't matter the work I do, I'm on an amazing team, you see people solve problems with a level of independence and thoughtfulness, regardless of the challenges of the business. Whereas when people are just productive because they're by themselves and that accountability is their own, it's easier to um, not necessarily be resilient in change. It's easier to feel lonely or cut off the minute something shifts. Mm -hmm. We aren't able to like move with, you know, the market, the business, et cetera. And so I think we're also going to see some reconciliation of, you know, remote work versus connection and being really thoughtful about making teams, high-performing teams while keeping people you know, giving them focus time and, and, you know, the flexibility to live lives and be mentally healthy and fulfilled because work isn't everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I yeah. think we're, as a whole unit, we're really struggling with that balance of like protecting wellness and mental health and keeping people's lives full. 
having committed employees who will stick through hard times because they work on amazing teams and they they love the work they do and people who are just really high performers in their own right and have their own accountability. And I don't think we figured out how important those three things are together and when to balance what. And we're seeing a lot of businesses test the waters on that. And that is a, a challenge for enablement because it's a live training versus building technology versus trying to get to someone in their living room versus navigating the coffee room distraction. There's a lot of, of nuance there and how that data shows up, you know, is going to look different based on where they are. Someone we know today going to see your customer is still the best way to build a relationship. Mm -hmm. We it know is, that, yeah. right? Like you come and have a coffee okay. with me, I'm going to tell you things I wouldn't tell you on a Zoom. For sure. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> right. So could, could you describe then the, the sort of community that you are looking after? Is it field sales, inside sales, or is it, you know, it, could so you just describe the mix? It's a little bit of both. I would say in technology, uh, most people are both inside and field sales. And that's just okay. because, yes, they might do some of their work via technology, but they also are required to go in and see the customer. We run events, we host dinners, we go meet them. Yeah. Um, and so the community that I oversee uh, at Slack is across all lines of the business. So everyone from, you know, that first phone call that you get all the way down to when you've bought the technology and the team is working with you to implement it and optimize it uh, yeah. and, and navigate features. And so I've had, I, I've service all of those folks uh, and okay. I have it in my past as well. Okay. So yeah, just, I wasn't sure if it was just um, inside sales because you were talking about the technology where you could, you sort of hit. AI talking to you in your ear. Uh, I, I can see that happening in a call center, perhaps, or, you know, at home, but I'm not sure if you're in the field, you know, when you've got a one-to-one -one conversation, uh, yes. whether you can have that sort of access to that kind of technology, perhaps uh, a little earpiece uh, guiding you <laughs> into, I wouldn't use a color red when you're writing on the whiteboard, you know, this, I'd use a color blue. For sure, um, for sure. Yeah, well, but maybe... We're navigating that too. We're now okay. trying to in person. Folks have forgotten how to, you know, present without aid. We're so yeah, used yeah. To our yeah, yeah. And now we have to really come a little bit more prepared. Yeah, um, but it's uh, it's really yeah, really interesting because, of course, you're part of you know Salesforce and uh, Tableau and a lot of the AI innovations you can see are are coming through in terms of how data is is perhaps going to be uh, sort of managed and used and developed. So I guess you're working for a very exciting kind of organization who is leading in many ways, you know, the way in terms of using these technologies to help improve sales productivity. I guess you're seeing things from the Salesforce side. Of course. As of well, course. that's, that's impacting the... how you do how you do things at Slack. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been really, um, you know, it's been a huge learning experience for me, but also really fascinating because even if you're outside sales, right, you're going to talk to your customer via text, email, hopefully Slack, uh, and you need to track all of that, those conversations. And so while when you're live presenting, I don't think, ho hopefully, <laughs> you don't yeah. need a ton of aid, but um, preparing for that presentation, yeah, yeah. right, is, is gathering all the data of, of all course. the interactions you've had up until that point, getting a pulse on the customer. Yeah. So I think we're seeing some innovation there. And I think we're seeing a uh, consolidation where, you know, AI is allowing us to bring all these technologies together and deliver a universal insight, which um, anyone who has purchased technology for their business will tell you. If someone could tell me how to pull the data from all my disparate systems and get a holistic picture of both my internal business and my customers, you'd be solving every problem yeah. I have. <laughs> and I think we're getting closer and closer to that where we can just move with intelligence and insight. But again, um, in sales and in leadership, we judgment is a really important thing. And I think it's often, um, you know, it doesn't get the hype that it should, where okay. we try to rely on data and we want all the answers and, and just sometimes having good judgment, being able to see something, having experienced it and, and making a call is sometimes the best way. And obviously that should be data informed, but um, the more you sell, the more you'll kind of hone that skill of judgment and data mm -hmm. will help you shift perspective, we'll but you won't always have data. And so you'll need to rely sometimes on something else. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, uh, you know, we, we use a term often uh, uh, through our masters. We run masters programs, uh, an MSc in 
leading sales transformation for leaders, which uh, when you talk about education, which, you know, that's the field that we're in, which mm-hmm. is sales education as opposed to uh, sales training. We have an undergraduate program as well. So again, focusing on taking younger people through a three-year BSc program as well. I think we're the only organization in the world that actually does both. You know, in America, I'm not sure about Canada, you know, that you have universities offering undergraduate degrees in sales. Uh, and then you have actually very, very few universities in America offer postgraduate only they have a module on on sales or something <clears throat> but we have um we have um a whole you know two two stroke two and a half year program on it but one of the critical skills that we talk about and um, it's related to the academic the way you look at different journals or different types of research and then construct your own theories from it is called critical reflection and this ability to critically reflect on data and then make up your own judgment and mind. And I was thinking of this when you were talking about the jigsaw earlier on about giving people puzzles, you know, puzzles of data and information and how you pull them together to create a picture. Um, yes, you want to make it easy for salespeople to be able to build the picture, but that ability to take disparate concepts and pull them together quickly is something that we believe in a world that's changing so fast is possibly one of the most important competencies of the next decade because um, just because information is everywhere but the ability to to bring it together in it in a strong way I, I don't know what you think about what I've just shared with you I I would say I love that. I might age myself here, but I remember when my source of information was an encyclopedia. I was trying to explain. Yeah, this. I was trying to explain this to my little brother. Like we used yeah. to purchase books of information, and yeah. we would only update them every like four or five years, and that would yeah, be like, yeah. the source of the truth. So the truth stayed the same for a few years. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and now we have this you know access to information, but filtering that information, understanding what's true and what's not, what's worth your time and what's not, how much energy you spend learning it all can be overwhelming. Um, and I would agree that as we continue down this road of access, right, uh, being able to critically think about how do I spend my time, what is worth taking in or not, what is yeah. a piece of information, what is crucial, and and not to kill curiosity, where sometimes you want to spend some time looking at everything, but yeah. being able to quickly assess what do I actually need in order to move forward is key. Um, we talk a lot about how when you lose a deal in sales, you lose it to ind- indecision. Um, okay. You don't yeah. usually, like you might lose to a competitor, which is a good thing. They were prepared to buy. But if you lose to indecision, someone couldn't make a choice, uh, that is the worst. And I feel like that is difficult now with how much information. It is, yeah. So being able to quickly come to, I'm going to make a choice, but also yeah. judgment or I'm going to make an informed choice. Uh, is key and I would agree yeah such uh I mean we could talk um for a long time about uh yeah changes in buyer behavior and consensus based decision making and mm. and so on and how how you're right there's been uh you know the danger when you get too many people involved in making a decision is no decisions made and it's it's uh, it's hard sometimes you can't influence people you've never met before because mm-hmm. you know just there are too many people for you to meet in order to affect all of the influences in a in a decision but uh and uh yeah it's painful when you go through a lengthy sales process and at the end of the day you know it's not that you've lost but you know nothing's happened yeah. <laughs> but i feel as though we could talk um for, for for much longer about I, clearly you're a very wise person Ashton <laughs> you're very experienced you've uh, I love the way that you've sort of uh, have a sort of a very humanistic approach to how people learn how people sell and um and bridging the gap between you know the customer and then the sales person I think it's it's been a a really interesting conversation Mm, what are your what are, what would you say is your your sort of biggest learnings if we could you know what are the biggest learnings in sales enablement what what for you have been your peak learnings over the last um 
you know, X number of years in your career, what would you say? <laughs> oh, uh, there's been a lot. I've made lots of mistakes and, and hopefully when I share them, they help other people not make the same ones. Um, but I would say one of the ones that I carry with me always is people don't always tell you what they need, whether that's your customer or your colleague. And okay. um, it's not because they don't want to. It's just that there is more data available usually. And so I usually okay. don't take the first request on anything, um, whether I mean, obviously simple tasks. Sometimes you have to do what you're told. But, uh, you know, sometimes someone will ask you for a solution or a customer will say, like, I really want this. And when you ask why and why and are you sure and why, you find that it's like something completely different. Yeah, yeah. So um, having that curiosity to inquire deeper will help clarify okay. a thought clarify a request it usually works out better for you but that curiosity is something that has been um really important anytime i wasn't curious <laughs> i generally ended yeah. up too far down a road i couldn't turn turn off of and then in enablement i i firmly believe that everyone is capable of achieving their potential if they want to and you know the reason i joined this 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 role or this job why it's my dream job is I feel like I make careers accessible to anybody. There is no barrier of entry to sales, right? Like you can come from any walk of life and enter in and know people really well or learn really well. Um, the skill of being able to learn and work with people can empower you pretty far. And a little bit of training can set someone up with a career they never thought they'd have. And I think it's our responsibility to remind folks that almost everything can be practiced and learned. Nobody is born talented right? There is something in how they were raised or experiences they had or a skill they practiced maybe didn't know. Um, and it's really something that can be trained at. And for me, I think there were lots of times in my life where I didn't think that or okay. where, you know, I work with folks who don't think that they think that someone needs to have this background and do this thing. And I'm like, mm, they need to know how to learn. They need to want to do this kind of work and they need to be curious about people and the rest we can fill in for most folks. Mm -hmm. And so um, really just remembering that both your customers and yourself uh, can always take in new information and have their perspectives shift. That's part of critical thinking and, mm. then, and learn and do hard things. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. Well, Ashton, I think we need to finish on that. Uh, that great note but that's uh, I'm very glad you've talked to you know people often ask us you know our salespeople you know can they be trained and and we obviously uh, feel the same way as you uh, that it, you can do amazing things with people who've got a growth mindset and uh, who have that uh, attitude uh, attitude to to learn um, so Ashton thank you so much for taking part it's been a pleasure talking to you Oh, the and mine. <laughs> uh, uh, I hope we can invite you back on some future occasion to, you know, share more of your insights. I feel as though we've only just scratched the surface here. I would in love this that. conversation with you. Yeah. So thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Yeah.